while working as a manager at a clothing store. She and her customers were confronted by an armed man. He robbed them, held them hostage, and put their lives in danger. She's here to talk about how that impacted her and how she's changed her life to help victims of crime. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Calling us from Florida, Melbourne, Florida area, we have Jen Lee on the phone. Jen, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. It's very much appreciated. Oh, thank you so much for having me today. I appreciate you. By the way, Jen is an online retailer. She is also a podcaster. The name of her podcast is I Need Blue. We'll talk about that later on in the show. And she's here to talk about an incident when she was a, a retail manager for a store in Virginia and was a victim of an armed robbery. About how long ago was that, Jen? It was about a decade. But it seems like a lot more recent than that, doesn't it? <laughs> it sure does. The details, uh, they never fade, to be honest with you. And sometimes you remember more as you talk about it. Yeah, this funny thing is, I've gotten to the point now, I I retired from police work from Baltimore almost 30 years ago. I got hurt and retired young. And the the traumas, while they're still there, I've learned to deal with them a lot better. But every now and then they they pop up and they usually pop up in my emotions and, and memories when I least expect them and least want them. Yes, and I'll actually tell you an interesting story about that that happened today. I wanted to actually see if I couldn't find information on um, how he actually had ended up being charged because during all of it, I just wanted to forget, you know. And uh, I found an article, and immediately when I saw it and I saw his face, I could feel tears start to well up in my eyes and that pit in my stomach, even though it was a decade ago. And I've been telling my story numerous times recently. I was surprised at that emotional reaction that I had. But you're right, the triggers never go away. Sometimes they change uh, as your situation changes in life. So it's, a, it's complex. There's nothing simple when you're a victim turned survivor of, of a situation. You're absolutely right. And one of the, the things is I have learned over the years, and we'll, we'll talk about your story in just a moment, but I've learned over the years that, first of all, I don't like the terminology that a lot of modern science and medicine uses. So I treat what I went through as a post-traumatic 
stress injury and I need to treat it like I do an orthopedic injury. So that means there's certain things I can do and certain things I do, do learn to do differently. So a good example is with the radio show and social media, people send me body cam videos all the time of violent stuff that police are involved in. I don't watch them. I don't watch any of them because it almost always triggers up and it's, I hate to say it, and I don't I don't like saying it in the radio, it triggers up an automatic physiological response, adrenaline rush, fight or flight, and, and it, it's, it's uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Yeah, I completely understand with that, uh, you know, situations like that. So, you know, mine was a robbery, and so you hear stories, you know, all of the time about other people who have been robbed at gunpoint, such as myself, and it kind of takes you back. You know the emotions that they're going through. But more importantly, I think the one thing that a lot of victims share in common is fear. I know what fear looks like. I know what it feels like. I know what it sounds like. And it's something that you never forget. While we're on the subject, why don't we go ahead and talk about the incident? And by the way, if I ask you a question you're just not comfortable or able to answer at the t- this time, just say, I can't talk about that right now. I totally understand. And, and my listeners will too. You were working as a, a manager for a retail clothing store, correct? That is correct. I was store manager and it was a chain retail store. So there was several throughout the United States. And um, like I said, it was about a decade ago. Two months prior to the incident, there was a rash of robberies that started to happen, but it was about 20 miles north of where my store was located. Now, keep in mind, like I said, there were several, um, we were a chain store So a couple of our stores were hit. They did get robbed and the cash taken from them. So what the company did is they put security in our stores and we had a conference call on what to do if someone comes in your store and asks for money. It was, you know, a lot of really good information, but honestly, I was like, okay, I'll never be putting those words into action. We talked about such things like you want to speak very little. You don't want sudden movements because you don't want to startle the robber and cause them to get nervous and then take, you know, adverse actions. So like I said, they provided us with some information. We had security in our store for a little while, but about a month and a half later, the robbery stopped. Security was pulled out of our stores. They never caught the robber but it appeared as though things were going to get back to some, some normalcy. Well, four days before our robbery, the GM came to our store. And this was about two months after, you know, all of the robberies had settled down. So another robbery had just occurred prior. My GM came and she said, do you feel safe? And I said, yes. I said, the other robberies had occurred 20 miles north, which it doesn't seem that far. But honestly, you know, when you get in your car, 20 miles is is a little bit further than you would think. So I didn't have any reason to believe that they would come down our direction. Well, that's what happens when you think that something can't happen to you is it can. Yeah, we get lulled into a false sense of security about and. One of the things that people said, I don't understand. I live in a good neighborhood. And I used to always say, 
Thieves steal cars, and guess where they go to find victims? Good neighborhoods, prosperous neighborhoods. Distance is a relative thing, so you're never really totally immune. No, you're exactly right about that, and and I learned that uh, very quickly, and it's one thing, and, and I tell people, and not to scare them, but the reality is uh, you can become a victim at any time. It's just it's just the reality of, of how things are, but it's okay. You learn to deal with it, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Well, it was, yeah, exactly. Uh, it was a Saturday. It was about 7 p.m., and our store was in a strip center. So we had on one end and on the other end and multiple stores in between. And to date my story a little bit, I had Radio Shack <laughs> right next door. Now, keep in mind nearby, we also had a movie theater. We had hotels, and it was not far off the expressway. So there was a lot of people. 7 p.m. Saturday, rather brazen, but all I know is I was in my store helping some ladies in the fitting room. There was about four of us congregated there, chit-chatting, just, you know, doing what ladies do when they go shopping, having a good time. And all of a sudden behind me, I hear, I want your money. And I kind of stopped and, you know, I'm trying to register what I just heard. Like, that doesn't really make sense amongst this conversation I'm having with women about, you know, does this color look good on me? You're, you're assisting shoppers it. and all of a sudden a suspect comes up and starts a process of an armed robbery. We're talking with Jen Lee. Jen is a podcaster. She's an online retailer and she's talking about an incident where she was a store manager of a retail clothing store and was robbed. And it's pretty intense. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L.E.T. Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. The show was brought to you in part by the Change the Culture podcast, a podcast hosted by a female cop. Personal development, mindset reset, and perspective changing content are all featured in the Change the Culture podcast. Back to our conversation with Jen Lee on the Law Enforcement Today show. Jen was a store manager for a retail clothing store that was the victim of an armed robbery. Uh, she's an online retailer now and also a podcaster. We'll talk about that more. For when the break, Jen, you're talking about you're helping customers. You're shopping. You're having a typical conversation. All of a sudden, you heard a voice behind you that says, I want your money. Did it register to you right then what was happening, or was it like a delayed reaction of, what, what? Delayed, because I heard again, I want your money. I turn around, and the first thing I see is a gun pointed at me. I look up, I see a man with a mask on, and I look down at the gun again. I turn, and I head towards the register. I can kind of see out of the corner of my eye that he waved the gun, and that was to signal the other customers in the store. There was about eight or nine of us total, and he signaled for them to follow me and also go to the register area. 
So I get up to where the register is, and my associate is there. So it was just me, the manager, and I had a sales associate with me. We kind of looked at each other, and without saying something, we said something. So she kind of moved out of the way, and I got in front of the register, and I opened up the cash drawer, and I remember hearing the words, you know, say very little. So I gave him the cash, and as to not say anything, I took my hand, and I kind of waved it over the coins to say, would you like me to also give you the change? And he said no. So I go over to the other register, and in that time, he has asked the other people for their cash, their wallets, anything that they have. I empty the second register and give him the money. He asked if we have a safe. And I said, no. I said, we don't have a safe. And he asked me again which concerned me because it made me think maybe he's not realizing what I'm telling him, even though it's the truth. And I didn't want him to become agitated, but I told him again, I said, we don't have a safe. Mind you, I hear praying. I hear crying. Um, it, it was very intense to be dealing with him, talking to him, but yet all of my senses are taking and everything else that is going on around me. After inquiring about the safe, he saw the door to our back room, and he asked me what that was. And so I told him, I said, that's the door to the back room. It's storage is back there. My desk is back there. So he said, okay, I want you to go back there. And at that moment, and, and every time I had to go to court, it, it, I would cry. Because that was the moment where I was like, okay, in the prior robberies, from what we knew, you just took the money and left. Well, you have all of our money, but you're not leaving. And now you're, you're putting us in the back. So I had like this out-of-body experience to where I almost became like a mom to these strangers. I completely forgot about my kids. I forgot about my family. And I took on this role for these people. I ushered for them all to go in front of me because, again, this was not the robber's normal behavior. And if he was going to hurt somebody, I wanted it to be me because I wouldn't have been able to live with myself if something happened to these individuals. So they all went first. I was the caboose, if you will. And we go through the back door. And again, he stops me and he was like, where is your safe? I was like, we don't have a safe. So then we move a little bit further and we come to where the back door is. And he asked me if it's locked. And I said, it should be locked. And if you push it, an alarm is going to go off. He said, okay. So then we go around a corner and that's where my desk is. And there's some storage where we process stock. We were all lined up in front of my desk. He asked me to pull the phone out of the wall. So I did. And then he asked for our cell phones. And I watched people take their cell phone out of their purse, out of their pocket. Like, think about it. That's like your most prized possession, your contacts, your pictures. It's like your diary. And here we are having to give this up to a stranger in a mask pointing a gun at us, right? While we're back there, there's one other room that is also used for storage and hangers and fixtures. And he looked at me and he said, what is that? And I told him exactly what I just uh, explained to you. 
And at that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's going to put us in there. And I still have my phone in my pocket. It was a... I'll never forget that phone. And I had on black pants. It's funny the things that you remember. But at that point, knowing instinctually he was going to put us in that room, I knew when I turned, he could very well see the outline of my phone. And I wasn't going to risk getting him upset and hurting me or hurting someone else. So I gave him my phone. And he ushered us into that room. Again, I went last. So we were all lined up on the back wall of that room. Behind us, there's hangers stacked three quarters to the way to the ceiling. It was uncomfortable, to say the least. There's no windows in that room. So other than the light, the natural light or the the light from uh, the light bulb, there was no other light in that room either. He looked at us and he said, don't say a word and nobody will get hurt. Nobody said anything. I mean, and and still I've got crying and people like trying not to panic. He said it one more time. He was like, don't say a word and nobody will get hurt. And then he asked me if the door shut. And honestly, we had never shut that door. It was just for storage. We had no reason to ever shut it. So when he asked me if if it shut, I said, honestly, I don't know because we've never shut it. So again, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm irritating him with my answers. I'm not telling him what I know he wants to hear. Anyway, he goes to the door and he pulls it shut real hard. And at that point, I think we're all just in this moment of what is going to happen now. Like we never would have believed in our life. We, you know, they came in to go shopping. I woke up that morning to go to work to do what I normally do every day. And now we're in this situation. So he has shut us in this room. I have crying. I have praying. I have just people talking. And then all of a sudden, there's a lady that I was helping in the fitting room. And I will never forget her because she had the beautiful eyes of Whitney Houston, this brown, just beautiful. And I enjoyed our conversation. She was telling me about some tragedy that had happened to her. And so we kind of connected on the sales floor uh, with her sharing her emotional story with me. So she was rather special. She's leaning up against the wall. And all of a sudden, she's having a hard time breathing. Like, I'm starting to recognize the beginning signs of a panic attack. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You got a lot so, going on at that point. When we return to our conversation with Jen Lee, we're going to talk about when the fear set in, when the emotions set in, and more importantly, the physical, mental emergency for one of her customers and what she did then. This is the Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. I promise you, you don't want to miss this conversation. We'll be right back. Is there a connection between drug cartels, street sales, and terror groups? Find out in an enlightening episode of the Law Enforcement Day radio show and podcast. Retired DEA special agent in charge, Derek Maltz, is our guest, and he breaks it all down in a way you won't hear anywhere else. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is also available as a podcast. You can listen anytime you want, from anywhere you want, on your smartphone, computer, or wireless speaker devices for free. Check out the podcast episode with Derek Maltz in Season 3, 
episode 77. Go to letradioshow.com or search for Law Enforcement Today podcast. Back to our conversation with Jen Lee on the Law Enforcement Today show. Jen was a store manager at a retail clothing store in Virginia that was the victim of an armed robbery. Her, her customers, her sales associate, and now she's an online retailer and also a podcaster. Before we enter break, Jen, you start talking about one of the customers. You've been locked in a storage room by the armed robber, and he left, but you, you didn't really know whether he was gone or another side or, or whatever I'm imagining. But all of a sudden, this one customer you connected with started to have physical symptoms. Can you talk about that? I sure can. She started to exhibit symptoms of a panic attack. And so I go over to her and as I'm watching her, I quickly hear the doorbell go off. So at that point, I'm like, okay, maybe the robber has left or somebody has come in. So I made that recognition as I'm also in front of this individual trying to help them. So her symptoms continue to progress. Now, understand, I know how to put on a Band-Aid, right? I <laughs> I don't like shows like Grey's Anatomy or ER or anything like that. I have no specialty skills. I put my arms around her. So I have her kind of pinned up against the wall, and I have my arms on her arms to try to hold her up. I remember looking in her eyes and just saying, come on, baby. I was like, I need you to stay with me. I need you to stay with me. And she started to fall down, like the weight of her body was giving way. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I I can't have her fall. So I had somebody else in the room. I was like, listen, I need you to come here and help me. I was like, because I cannot have have her fall. So next thing I know, she's laid out on the floor. And she's having a totally different medical emergency now than a panic attack. And you mentioned when was the first time fear set in. And I will tell you, the moment she was having that medical emergency was the moment panic started to set in. And I had to swallow it down. Because, like, the thoughts of, oh, my God, you know, if she doesn't make it out of here, I'm like, I'm not going to be okay. Like, it's amazing the things that fear triggers in your mind, in the words. And I had to battle through that and try to figure out how am I going to help her. And meanwhile, some of the other customers are like, well, I think we need to do this and I think we need to do that. And I was like, okay, my sales associate, fortunately, had she had her phone. And I told her, I said, listen, go behind me. And I said, I need you to call 911. Mind you, in that time, I hear the doorbell again. So I'm thinking, okay, somebody had left. Now somebody is back in the store, and I have no idea who it is. So I told her, please go behind me, because in my mind, I didn't say it out loud, but if that robber was back and opened that door, I didn't want, I don't, I didn't want him to see her on the phone, so I shielded her. She called, let them know, listen, you know, here's our situation. We need help. Told her, I said, put your phone away. Make sure your ringer's off. Put your phone away and just stay where you are. So, you know, this customer is progressively getting worse. I told my associate, I was like, okay, give me, give me your phone. I said, I'm going to have to call again. And mind you, I haven't heard the doorbell ring again. So I'm still under the assumption that there is somebody in the store. 
you really don't know whether it's the armed robber, whether it's somebody else, whether they're still in a store, whether it's still a threat. You really don't know. And I'm sure your mind is hyper racing. Yes, exactly that. It's amazing the things that you're aware of when you're, you're super stressed like that. But yes, I didn't know who was in the store. I know somebody had to have been in the store by the number of doorbells that I was hearing. And I often asked myself, I wonder if anybody else heard the bell. Or if it was just my my so stressed mode that I was in that I was picking up on different things. Anyway, I called 911 and I was like, listen, I have this medical emergency. So they walked me through a little bit of what I could do with them on the phone. And they were great. They were like, listen, I, you know, I'm going to stay on you with the phone through this whole thing until help arrives. And just to hear another voice give me direction instead of me uh, having to have all of this responsibility was so helpful. But I will tell you the moment I will never forget is when that door pushed open. For one second, I was fearful it was the robber. But that passed quickly when I realized it was the police officers there to help us. And how long a period of time was that before they, they got there and pushed the door open? Honestly, I don't know. That's yeah, a funny I, thing. I, I I, that makes perfect it, sense to me, Jen, because, because time goes into a weird state. When you're in life-threatening situations, for me, it was it crawled, it was super slow, and it seemed like forever, and it really wasn't. I also didn't hear things the way I should. It's like, I think they call it auditory, um, uh, I forget what they call it, but it's as if everything becomes twisted. Yes, and the best way I can describe it is time is defined by events and not minutes. That's the best way that I can describe, you know, when somebody says, how long did it last is honestly, I don't know. You know, I can tell you the events, but I don't know how long it was. But and that makes perfect sense to me. When the police officers um, showed up and they ushered everybody out of the room. They had them go sit in a, uh, the shoe department so that they could gather their information and, you know, call somebody if they needed to be picked up and just really be a big help to them. And um, I remember they looked at me and they said, wow, you look relatively calm for what you've just been through. And I said, give me a couple hours and I won't be. But I said, right now, I need a cigarette. <laughs> and I went out the back door and I had my cigarette. I swear if I could just like smoked a whole pack, I would have. Um, I, I don't smoke since then, but too, I was never so happy to have a cigarette after all that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. But uh, a, a few other things that happened is they had asked for my ID. That's when I realized he had also taken my wallet because my wallet was on my desk back there, and when he left, he must have taken it. So for me. He had my cell phone. He had my wallet with my current address on it where I lived by myself. He had uh, all my credit cards, everything. He, he pretty much had my whole life. And that was a really scary moment when I came to that realization. And then later on, I also said to myself, oh, my gosh, how did he know it was me that he was supposed to come to? He had to have been watching. And how long was he watching to recognize that I was the one with the money and, and that he was going to have to approach. So there's lots of things you think about that really kind of create fear, stir fear even after the fact. 
Well, for me, Jen, and the really traumatic, violent things I've been through in, in my career in law enforcement, I didn't have time to be fearful when the event was going on. You're reacting. You're All the things you said about what you were taught and training, we all relied on our training. But afterwards, it was a totally different story. Oh, you are so right. I, I mean, I called my DM initially. I called my parents. And then um, after I told my story, I told the, you know, the police on the scene everything that I knew. I remember looking outside and seeing the police yellow tape do not cross, you know, around the door. Thinking, oh, my gosh, that's what you see in TV. And, like, I'm looking outside my store doors, and now I, I see that tape. Like, holy cow, there were different things, like you said, that started to become real part of it is we live by a mentality we knew really dangerous bad things could happen we knew the dangers of the job however we always thought it would never happen to me because otherwise you wouldn't be able to function you'd never leave your radio patrol car you'd never leave the station house and then when uh, a violent situation occurs where someone tries to take your life or threatens your life i'm speaking for me not you first thing is i can't believe this is happening to me why are they doing this to me they don't even know me and then the 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 reaction set in what you do you don't really think about it afterwards it it makes more sense i did this because of this and this by the time i couldn't tell you why i did what i did but after it was over, that's when the effects really started to show themselves, and quite often they were ugly. We're talking with Jen Lee. Jen is an online retailer. She's also a podcaster, and she was a store manager at a retail clothing store that was victimized by an armed robbery herself. Many of her customers robbed. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Ever miss an episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show? Never fear. You can sign up for our free email newsletter and get access to past podcast episodes. Plus, all subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. We promise we will never spam you. Sign up at letradioshow.com. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Our guest is Jen Lee. Jen is an online retailer. She's also a podcaster. And she was the store manager of a retail clothing store that was robbed in Virginia. And for winter break, Jen, you talked about the police got there. We talked about time distortion, all those things that come up. The robber got away. Was the robber ever arrested? Yes. Yeah, I had um, the droid. And I had the app where's my droid. And I told the police officers, I gave them my phone. I was too disoriented to figure it out. But I said, I have that app because they could not find my phone or my wallet outside. They pinged his phone. And the following night, they found him and the driver. So modern technology, actually, it it helped. So, yes, they ended up catching the robber. And were they convicted? Yes. Yes, he was actually a, a prior felon. He had just gotten out a year before. So I'm sure he didn't get enough time. But the main thing is you and your customers were not physically harmed. I mean, you were mentally shaken and you had the one customer that was having some physical distress. Did everybody come out of it okay physically? Yes, nobody was physically harmed while we were together. You are right. Well, the important thing is, and we talked about this before, 
you, you go to work and you don't think anything bad is going to happen. We don't walk around the mindset this this is going to happen to me because you can't function. But it did happen, and there there must have come a point where you're like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this happened. And it could have been so bad. It could have been much worse. How were you affected afterwards? So there's a couple of moments actually that I I realized I wasn't okay. Um, And number one, I lived by myself. And when I got home, for some reason, I couldn't go in my bedroom. I I don't know why. I didn't want anything to do with it. And um, that was really odd. Uh, My boys have play guns. I grew up around guns, but I couldn't even have them have their play guns around me. But the most significant thing that happened is after 10 days, I tried to go back to work. And I came out of our back room, and in front of me was a gentleman that had similar features of the robber. And I stopped, and I about burst into tears. I grabbed my manager. She was like, are you okay? And I said, no. I said, this is what happens to me. So between these accumulating issues, I realized I'm not okay. And they say you have a new normal, and this is not going to be my new normal because this is not who I was and who I was before. So I went to therapy. And uh, initially, she was like, listen, you, you can't go back to work. I don't recommend it. But I'm the type of individual where I don't like to go halfway down a road and then turn around. I like to go to the stop sign, and then I don't spend the rest of my life wondering what if. So against his direction, I I went back to work. And then as you can see what happened, I saw someone that reminded me of the robber, and then it created, you know, a whole issue for me. Um, Going to court was triggers. I was in front of a jury for the driver who I didn't even see, but they needed to see the trauma that was caused to the victim to understand the impact. Two years later, when I thought everything was done, I get called into federal court uh, where I have to testify in front of a jury two times. Uh, That was the first time that all of us victims and survivors were together. One thing I'm thankful is I was able to tell them thank you because any one of them could have tried to be a hero. They could have tried to do anything that would have completely disrupted the order of the robbery and things could have turned out so much worse. So I was so thankful to be able to help them. I will tell you one of the current triggers that I I have is um, my husband. We've been together like four years. And when I met him, if he was behind me and he would call me, like not yelling or anything, but just, uh, you know, hey, Jen, it would startle me. It would make me so angry. And I would turn around and I would gently say, babe, I was like, I, I can't have you call me from behind like that. I said, it, it makes me mad and then it makes me afraid and I don't, I don't want to feel that way, you know? Yeah. So he understands and he's gotten to where he doesn't, you know, he doesn't do that anymore. I've kept, you know, I don't hear as well as I used to either. So maybe that helps, but <laughs> there are lasting things and um you know like i said in the beginning that finding that article and seeing his face just took me right back it was insane but i i went through so many different emotions and fear can be debilitating if you allow it and i wasn't going to allow it to control me so i'm i'm cautious i'm aware when i go out 
you know, especially nowadays. But I, I don't let it stop me from doing things that that I want to do. I I don't carry a gun or uh, anything like that. I don't have a you know concealed carry weapon. I do. I'm just gonna tell you, I do almost all the time. Yes, my husband has talked about it, and I said, you know what, you you should do that if you feel comfortable with that. The See, main me, point I I'm getting at that is I want to hold a gun. Though, and I don't think you should feel like you should have to. The the main point is that. We collectively go through some horrible things and the way we handle them, well, there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of coping mechanisms we come up with. They're not all the same and there's no right or wrong answer. It's about, and you hit something very, very important when you said, I'm not going to have this dictate my life. It's going to affect me, but it's not going to dictate my life or the quality of my life. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the there, most important yeah. thing. Oh, absolutely. It's powerful. And I'm going to tell you what, it takes a lot of work. Therapy, I don't care what you go for. Therapy is not meant to be easy, in my opinion. It's meant to be work because you really have to dig down and understand the core of what is creating that emotional response, like what the trigger is. Because when you can figure that out, then you figure out how to cope with it in a healthy way. And I'm sure as I go along, there will probably be something new that will trigger me. But I've coped enough with other things that now I know how to talk myself through it or just reassure myself, like, okay, you're safe. It's okay. You know, you don't need to be afraid at this time. But, you know, it's amazing. And, you know, it's not just about us. It's about our family. It's exactly about our It's about the people that are important to us and the kind of life they have as well. And before we go into your podcast, one of the things that, that I learned in my journey is Things happen. They're not our choice. We become injured in a way. My choice is how I deal with it. And the thing about therapy is, you're right, it's a lot of work. And the first part of this journey is self-awareness and saying, okay, this is how I have to learn how to adjust to, and I hate the term, the new normal. One of the things you do is you have become an advocate for law enforcement and for victims of crime with your podcast. Tell us about your podcast. What's the name of it? I Need Blue is the name of my podcast. And I Need Blue asks the questions, what scares you? What makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up? I Need Blue is a podcast which shares real-life stories of people who have experienced what we fear most, which is feeling unsafe or unsure. Every crime has a victim. I Need Blue puts a spotlight on survivors, their families, and their communities, which are affected by traumatic situations. Their lives are changed forever. I Need Blue gives victims turned survivors a voice. It is a platform to share their fears, tears, pain, and scars. We are here to help each other. And just as important, I Need Blue celebrates our law enforcement. We recognize their essential need to our communities. Police officers and law enforcement individuals, they're our neighbors, our friends, our family. They are dedicated to keeping us safe from all types of situations and rescue us from frightening ones. They wake up each day walking into the unknown. Their families wonder if they will be home after their shift. Why? Because they love their communities and the people in it. I Need Blue gives you, the listener, the opportunity to say thank you. We need you. 
after all, they bring safe to unsafe situations. And do you, you have a website? It, yeah, it's uh, www.ineedblue.net. Subscribe. You can find all of the episodes there, and I would love to hear from you. Jen, thanks so much for telling your story. Thanks for all you do. And most importantly, I really appreciate you being a guest on the show. Oh, thank you so much. Anytime. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, leave an honest review and or rating. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.